Welcome to the podcast of CGEM, the Center for Genetically Encoded Materials. CGEM is a National Science Foundation Center for Chemical Innovation dedicated to transforming the fabric of society with genetically encoded chemical polymers. I'm Jeffrey Townsend, Elihu Associate Professor of Biostatistics and Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at Yale University and the Director of Collaborative Communication and Information Transfer at CGEM. In future podcasts, I'll introduce you to some of the outstanding scientists who are part of the center. We'll talk about the science that has brought us to this point and about their recent transformative research. We'll also speculate about future possibilities of programmable polymers and how they might impact society as a whole. In our first podcast, Ellen Kahn, staff reporter at the Yale Daily News, interviews me about the new center. This interview was recorded on the 19th of September, 2017. What is the purpose of the center? What does genomically encoded materials refer to? The center is uh, developed to generate novel materials that have never been seen before. It sounds like quite a scientific uh, revolutionary statement to say so, uh, but I think it actually merits that um, given the uh, goal and the technologies that we're developing. Uh, We may be able to develop technologies that allow us to make materials that we've never seen before that may have properties we may or may not even be able to anticipate. Okay, great. Okay, so then my next question is, what is the um, kind of the leadership structure of the center? So how many people will be part of it and who's, I guess, officially running the show? So uh, the the leader of the entire enterprise is Professor Alana Shepherds, who's done an incredible job in constructing a team that I think will have uh, enormous capability to do the science that's exciting us all so much. Uh, so she's leading the entire project. Other contributors are Dieter Soll, who's at Yale University and has contributed for many, many years to the research on how to actually re-encode units of the ribosomal machinery, the machinery that makes proteins, uh, so that they actually do novel things instead of what their uh, evolved purpose has been. And uh, another uh, contributor to that is Farron Isaacs, who has been working very much on the scale of actually engineering the organisms, which can then host these uh, novel ribosomal entities um, to produce uh, these new genomically encoded materials. And uh, Jamie Kate is another team member who's essential to the project, and he uh, is able to actually image these materials as we make them on the chemical level and um, and give us uh, the ability to re-engineer them as they are being optimized for the production of, uh, of template-driven materials. That is, materials that actually encode one unit and then another unit and another unit. Just like the ribosome encodes amino acids, we want to be able to encode other chemical moieties, other types of individual units to bond together uh, in a template-driven manner. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the applications of being able to encode these ribosomes and other molecules into these templates? The applications are so broad, it's intimidating to even think about them because if you imagine all of the technological advances that have been enabled by the simple creation of polymers, of simple polymers like plastics, like uh, um, like starches, et cetera, et cetera, any, any kind of polymer that we generate um, 
has had uh, there are diverse usages for. And if you look around in a modern building today, in a modern room, you'll find all kinds of polymers that have generally been engineered by chemical means. But none of those polymers have been template-driven polymers. They've all been driven by engineering one unit and an identical unit and an identical unit, or at best case, randomly different kinds of units uh, together. Uh, what we're able to do in principle with the technologies that are just nascent now is to actually template and make one one unit and then another unit, another unit, another unit. And so we could design them to have very specific chemistries that have to do with what they're supposed to do, that confer extra strength or extra durability, that make them not degradable or degradable. Uh, all of these things are things that we can control with much better precision if we could template our polymers instead of come up with a single, you know, uh, or alternating kind of setup that is required in most uh, chemistries. Okay, that's really interesting to hear. So going back to the center itself, will it be a physical building in addition to a research center, or is it kind of the name only and referring to a group of people working on the same projects? The center has uh, diverse contributors, and each of us has our own laboratories. In particular, up on Science Hill, there are a number of laboratories that are all uh, you know, in proximate location near each other. But the center itself is bringing together interdisciplinary scientists to do this work. And for that reason, we're not located in one location, but are spread around Yale. And also, uh, Jamie Cade is at the University of Berkeley, of California at Berkeley, where he does his work. Um, so it's uh, meant to be uh, a diverse group of people that have a common goal and can get it done because of their diverse expertise. Okay, great. What is the timeline for the center? Is it already is it a collaboration that's already begun now that that you have the funding or is there um, some kind of timeline for it being set up? Yeah, we've already begun setting up the center. Uh, it is at the early point where we have not generated all of the, for instance, communication to the public, et cetera, about it. We're working on the website, um, and we have uh, a lot of excitement generated about putting together the uh, the protocols for how we're all going to operate to uh, connect together to, to execute this goal. Uh, we have a really good plan, and uh, we're already moving forward towards uh, executing that plan. Okay, great. Is there a particular end date to the center's projects once, I guess, there are research findings, or is it going to be an ongoing for the rest of... So the center is set up with two phases. We have a first phase in which what we're doing is doing the basic work that needs to be done in order to sort of start the composition of these novel materials. And we can do that with just the investigators that we currently have on board. Uh, at the time, once we've uh, sort of really built together that core to something that functions and gets us where we want to go, which I think we will be able to do in, in the first two, if not three years, uh, then we will apply to expand that. And it's a natural part of how, how the CGEM um, uh, funding is organized that we can then expand to a larger size and actually bring in other scientists to make this a reality for diverse products that can have a real impact on uh, how we live and uh, how we are enabled to do novel and especially technologically beneficial things. Um, and then kind of going back to the root of the idea for CGEM, how was the idea conceived and how did you and the other people you mentioned come together for the center? 
Well, I really, I think uh, Alana Shepherds deserves all the credit for putting together the team. Uh, and uh, uh, so I won't speak for her and how she actually generated the team. But the thing that I can say is that the technology has been sort of building for a while. And I think Alana's genius was to realize that if we put together the right kinds of uh, crystal graphic imaging, the right kind of organisms that can actually host the modified ribosomes and the right kind of technology for engineering the ribosomes themselves and the tRNA synthetases and the other parts that we need, uh, that we're actually at a point where we could put this together and actually generate materials by this means. Uh, and so it's just very exciting to see how she's uh, set up the pipeline of research in order to make sure that this can be a goal we can head for and achieve. And what are the advantages of this being an interdisciplinary collaboration? What can each person bring from their different departments and different schools? Well, as you can see, it's, it is a chemistry proposal uh, and a chemistry center. Uh, and our, we're focusing on this as new chemistry. But as you can imagine, a lot of this is, for instance, biology. Uh, you can't have the chemistry that goes on by reengineering a ribosome occur without the biological host that actually uh, keeps that process moving and, and stays alive in order to provide the ATP energy for ribosomes to actually proceed along a uh, template and uh, generate these novel materials. So inherently, it, it's at the interdisciplinary interface between uh, chemistry and biology. Uh, on the other hand, and even uh, you know within biology and within chemistry, it's sort of diverse bits and pieces of those fields that we need in order to make it work as a whole system to produce materials. Uh, and then on the other end, we actually need material scientists like Ting Zhu, who's at the University of California, Berkeley, and is part of this project, to help us understand what the potential properties that we could engineer these things to to make what those potential properties would be, how they could be used in an industrial setting, and realize some of the end goals of what can be done with this uh, technology. Okay, wonderful. And on the news release for CGEM, it said that in addition to supporting research, this phase one CCI includes funds to educate and train cross-disciplinary scientists and create novel data management systems to facilitate cross-disciplinary and cross-institutions research. So does this also involve training up-and-coming students or... Absolutely. We're very excited in bringing uh, students in who are interested in exploring this exciting area where uh, there's so much uh, incredible progress to be made. So we're very excited in bringing students in. We're also very excited to have our diverse laboratories uh, exchange students who are working in one laboratory with another so they gain expertise in these divergent areas that clearly need to be brought closer together and where we need individuals who have expertise in both. Uh, I've often said just as a personal opinion, that the most powerful scientists and the most powerful interdisciplinary collaborations are not necessarily the ones where you have one person from field X and one person from field Y, but ones where you, as part of the process, try to train people who are native to both fields, because those people are best able to bring technologies from one area into another area. However much person X and person Y want to talk to each other, um, it's difficult without both of them having the full expertise to actually make those breakthroughs. So one of the major training things we want to do is facilitate exchanges among the labs so that we can 
make this process smooth and make it possible for individuals to to take this from from A to Z into the production phase. And we're very excited and also uh, incorporating a good deal of outreach to the people who are interested in this kind of uh, novel technological development. I think that uh, conveying to people the excitement of the science and the extraordinary possibilities of it will be very, very exciting. So we're doing uh, a series of uh, recordings of scientists talking about the kind of work they're doing, and we're going to propagate that to sites where the public can access it. They'll be released as a Yale podcast, and through that means, we hope to uh, generate some uh, talk about the excitement of this uh, science and encourage uh, people to think about what kinds of new things could be generated in the process. Okay. Amazing. That's all the questions I have. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to talk with you. Thank <laughs> you.